0: Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. In January of 1974, Marvel Comics introduced to us a new character in its Spider-Man series who would become what is called an anti-hero. He was an FBI agent by the name of Frank Castle and he was driven to become a vigilante, carrying out extrajudicial violence because the mafia had murdered his family and the corrupt court system could not convict the culprits. Castle would engage in murder, he would kidnap people, he would torture violent criminals all in acts of vengeance and his comic book character became known as the Punisher. He was called the Punisher because of the punishment and violence he meted out on these wicked individuals. A brutally violent character, he became unlike the typical hero of the comic books of his day. You see, people like Spider Man were all too happy to capture, to tie up, and to turn over the bad guy to the police because they trusted that the system would work. But in postmodern America, the world was waking up to the facts that the court system didn't always work the way that people believed it should, or would, or even could. The anti-hero became a fan favorite because people saw in the anti-hero justice that the court systems would not give. They believed that the criminals were getting their due. They were receiving the justice that the courts should have given them. The punisher made criminals pay and people liked it. Long before Marvel Comics, however, introduced to us the idea of the anti-hero called the Punisher, the Bible revealed to us its own Punisher. If you have your Bibles with you today, I'd like you to open to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. We're going to be jumping around in lots of different places today, but we're going to begin in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. Because in these verses, the Apostle Paul reveals to us that the Punisher or the Avenger is not some Marvel comic anti-hero named Frank Castle, but rather, it's God. Now, I know that street sounds and, and seems like a strange characterization of God, and yet it's exactly what the Apostle Paul says. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul comes to the church and he reminds them that it is God's will that they should be sanctified. That is, that they should be holy and righteous. And he says to them that when you are sanctified and righteous, you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, And that in this matter, when it comes to sin and sexual immorality, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister in Christ because the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins just as we told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure but to live a holy life. It's an interesting translation that the English Bible gives us here. It says the Lord will punish anyone. And it says that anyone who rejects this instruction, this idea that the Lord will punish wickedness, does not reject human beings or human teachings, but they reject God and the very God who gives us his Holy Spirit. I want you to know that the English Bible there turns a title, it turns a name into a verb, and I don't like it. The apostle Paul there actually says in the original Greek text when he speaks to the Thessalonians that God is the punisher. God the punisher or God the avenger will repay people for the wickedness and the sins that they commit. This characterization of God as the punisher or God as the avenger is in keeping with what the Apostle Paul also says in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. There the Apostle Paul reminds the church at Rome that it is not for you to take revenge or to seek vengeance on other people, but rather you should leave that to the Lord because God says it is mine to avenge. I am the avenger and I will Repay. Now, I want you to know that it is my belief that we are not used to hearing the idea that God is the punisher or God is the avenger in the church of Jesus Christ today. More often than not, we are likely to hear sermons about God being a loving God, God being an all-benevolent and good God, and that's not a bad thing. God is all-loving, and God is benevolent. But we don't often talk about the reality that the Bible calls God an avenger or a punisher of wickedness, and we don't often talk about it because it offends our modern sensibilities. And I think that one of the reasons it offends our modern sensibilities is because our modern sensibilities are not often well-educated in terms of history, philosophy, and most especially the Bible. Somewhere in our mind, we are unable to comprehend that an all-loving and all-good God could also be a God who is called the Punisher or the Avenger. Those are ideas that are difficult for us to reconcile. So offensive to our modern sensibilities, particularly outside the church, is the idea that God is a punisher. That the atheist Richard Dawkins published a book in the year 2006 called The God Delusion. And in that book, Dawkins, uh, recall, is a, an atheist and an evolutionary biologist. He takes this portrait of God from the Bible as the avenger, or a God who judges. And he says that this God is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. Now he calls the Bible fiction, which I of course would disagree with. And he says that this God of the Bible is jealous and proud of it. He is petty, he is unjust, he is unforgiving, he is vindictive, a bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynist, he's homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, he is a megalomaniac, he's sadomasochistic, and he is a capriciously malevolent bully. This is what Dawkins says. Now I want you to know that Dawkins' book has become something of a Bible to the atheists, and his quote, has be, his quote about God has become very popular among them. It doesn't matter that Dawkins' declaration is itself self-defeating from the outset, something a man of his intelligence ought to know, but a man of his arrogance ignores. For you see, Dawkins, as an evolutionary biologist, says in all of his books that science cannot account for good and evil because there is no good and evil in a scientific worldview. Things just are. If you live in a world where you believe there is no God and the world is just ordered by natural events that just happen to take place, then you cannot call anything good or evil. They just happen. And yet a man who does not believe in good or evil looks at the God of the Bible and tries to call him evil. And he tries to call him evil by using terms that he believes are evil. And I look at him and I go, wait, you can't have it both ways. You can't have your cake and eat it too. But he tries. And he succeeds in the minds of many atheists. And they start to believe that the God of the Bible is a a capricious, vindictive bully who punishes and avenges with vigilante violence in the same way that that Marvel comic book character does. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know that there are an awful lot of Christians who are starting to have those same beliefs as well, because they haven't reconciled in their mind how we can have an all-loving and good God, and also a God who avenges. Last week, Monty began a series of sermons entitled, What About? You can see the question here. And it's a series of sermons that is designed to take on some of the tough questions that not just unbelievers but believers themselves ask about the bible and about the god of the bible and the goal of the series is in addressing these questions is not so that we can walk around and say well we've got you we've got all the answers and we're going to one up those of you who have the questions that's not the goal at all the goal is for us, for us is to understand who the God of the Bible really is so that we can serve him, love him, and worship him more. And the goal for us in doing that is to help, I think, correct and redirect some of the mischaracterizations that even some people within the church have about God. And the question that Monty had raised for this week, and Monty, if you're watching, we miss you, get well and come back to us soon the question that monty had raised this week is is god really that vindictive bully is he really that vindictive character that richard dawkins and others try to make him out to be and i will answer that question unequivocally no because the bible answers that question unequivocally no But in trying to reconcile this idea of a loving God with an avenging God, I do think we have to place the question of is God vindictive within the larger context of Scripture? And I think there are three primary uh, truths, three basic ideas that come throughout Scripture that help us to set this question in the right light and come to understand God for who He really is. And the first principle, the first idea that we have to grasp this morning is this, and that is that evil exists. See, whereas Dawkins and others will say that in a scientific worldview there is no such thing as good or evil, their practical lives actually ignore that because all of us understand that evil exists. And the Bible makes that unequivocally clear. We can't begin to even talk about God as... uh, an avenger or a punisher without first understanding why that idea comes into play. And it comes into play because evil exists. If you were to turn in your Bibles all the way back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, you would discover in the opening pages of the Bible a very disturbing statement about the earth and about humanity. See, when you come into Genesis, the sixth chapter... You are aware that before this time, Adam and Eve had been created and they lived in in perfect harmony with God in the Garden of Eden. And God placed before them the choices of life and death. You can eat from the tree of life or you can eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and you can have death. Of course, you know the story. Eve and then Adam reached out their hand. They took from the fruit, the forbidden fruit that God had told them not to eat from. They rebelled against God. They sought to do their own will rather than God's will, and wickedness and sin entered into the world. And immediately after Adam and Eve reached out and took of that fruit, the biblical story tells us that their sons engaged in wickedness and violence. Cain, you remember, lured his righteous brother Abel into the fields and he struck him down and he killed him. And that was in chapter 4 of Genesis. And by the time we get to chapter 6, God says, The wickedness of the human race has become great upon the earth. And the inclination, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. You see, what Adam and Eve and what the world in Genesis discovered is that the greatest global pandemic that the world has ever faced is the pandemic of wickedness and evil. When sin entered into the world, it it began to adapt. It began to change and grow and take on new strains of creativity and violence beyond anything we could ever imagine To the point that when we get to Genesis chapter 6, God sees that the whole earth is filled with evil and all people think about are new ways of doing evil. And a few verses after what we just read in verse 11, we read that God sees the entire earth is corrupt and filled with violence. And God says, I must bring these people to an end. And you read the story of Noah because God says, I cannot allow this wickedness and this violence and evil to continue. Ladies and gentlemen, evil exists. It exists in many forms, but one of its most prevalent and dangerous forms is violence against others. In those opening chapters of Genesis, God made for us to live, made us to live in harmony with him, to live in peace with him and with one another and with all creation. And what you see is that as soon as people chose to go their own way instead of going the way of God, sin and violence and corruption entered in and distorted all the things that God had made to be good. We were not made to be corrupt. We were not made to be violent. We were not made to be sinful. We were made in the image and likeness of God. We were made to be his ambassadors upon the earth. We were made to reflect his glory, his greatness, and his goodness. But rather than fulfilling our created purpose, we chose to go our own way. And when we choose to go our own way, Sin and evil and wickedness will abound. I want to ask you some questions this morning. And I want to ask you to to search deep in your heart, your minds, and your feelings. When you've seen the pictures on the internet, on the news, on the television, when you saw the pictures of those innocent civilians lying dead in Bukha, Ukraine, hands tied behind their back, feet bound, shot in the back of the head by the bullets of Russian soldiers. How did that make you feel? Did you think to yourself, well, things happen. It's not good or evil, it just is. That's what happens in a naturalistic worldview. People just kill each other. That's that's just the way it's going to be. Did you think that to yourself? Or did you think to yourself, that's wrong? That's evil? Did you hear the story about the young Ukrainian couple that came to the checkpoint? They were trying to flee their homes, and they they came to a Russian checkpoint where the soldiers had blocked the roads and they leveled their weaponry at this car and they forced it to stop. And so believing that they should get out, the mother got out of the car, and the husband got out of the car to to get the young daughter, she was about six years old, out of the back seat. And before she could even blink, she was blown off her feet by a huge blast of cannon fire from a Russian tank, and she turned around to find the decapitated bodies of her husband and child laying there in the road. Now, when you hear that story, do you think to yourself, things happen? Or deep down, do you get stirrings that say, that's wrong, that's evil, that's violent? Because I can tell you what the stirrings are in my heart and my mind. We don't have to look clear across the world to find those examples of evil, we can find them right here at home. Maybe you read the story last January of little Melody Vang, the two-year-old St. Paul girl who went missing. And when the neighbors didn't see her for a while, they called the police and they showed up to her house. They found her dead in the middle of January, Minnesota winter, laying on the back porch of her home. In nothing but a diaper, her body covered with cuts and bruises because her mother had beaten her to death. Now when you hear that story, do you say to yourself, things happen? Or do you say to yourself, that's wrong? What about the six-year-old Fergus Falls, Minnesota boy who last year was bound with duct tape And whipped with straps and belts until he died by his mother and father. What about little Zayden Lawson? Maybe you know that story. Little three year old African American Egan boy. Cute pictures, if I've got the right ones. Found dead lying in a pool of his own vomit because his foster mother repeatedly punched him in the stomach for soiling his diaper. Do you think to yourself, things happen? Or do you think to yourself, that's evil? Brothers and sisters, the Bible makes it very clear that evil exists. And evil exists not because of God, but because of us. Our God is a holy God, incapable of evil. And our holy God made us in His image and likeness to represent His glory. But instead of following in His glory, instead of being righteous as He is righteous, we chose to rebel against Him. We chose death and violence and corruption. And it's everywhere. And into that violent and evil and corrupt world, we find a God who is an avenger. Why? Because just as evil exists, the second truth that we cannot overlook is that our God is a righteous judge, a holy God, a righteous God will judge righteously and he will judge fairly because he cannot overlook such violence and corruption. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, which I think is also on the screen behind me. In what is a very hopeful passage, the Apostle Paul is facing the end of his life. This is the last epistle that Paul wrote, at least as far as we know, This was the last epistle he wrote before he died and went to be with God. If we understand the traditions of Christian history well, we know that the Apostle Paul is facing persecution at this time. He did not get to join God peacefully, but he was put to death because of his faith. And as he is facing his death, he says... There is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You see, the same apostle who in 1 Thessalonians said, God is the avenger, he is the one who will punish all wickedness. Also, says in another epistle that God is the righteous judge and he gives righteous crowns to all of those who follow him. The thing I understand in reconciling God as the avenger and God as the righteous judge is this a righteous judge cannot stand evil. A righteous judge cannot stand violence. A righteous judge cannot stand wickedness. And he will avenge when it occurs. Now, if you want to believe that the God of the Bible is how Richard Dawkins declares him to be some capricious, malevolent bully, then that is your choice. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a righteous avenger who says, I will not let wickedness go unpunished. When you think about those stories that I told you, how would you feel if there was never any punishment for that kind of violence and wickedness that went on in the world? How would you feel... If little Melody Vangs all over the world could be beaten to death by their parents and nothing ever happened to them because that's just the way things were, how would you feel knowing that you lived in a world where militaries could just walk around and shoot people in the back of the head and there would never be any consequence for it, either here or in eternity, because things just are? How does that make you feel? Let's get a little more personal. What if those were your kids? What if that was your family? Let me tell you, if someone violently took the life of one of my children, I would want justice. I would be unwilling to say, things just are. That's just the way it is, and I'm going to have to live with it. I want justice. And that's what a righteous judge gives. God the Punisher gives justice where justice is deserved. Friends, that brings both a word of hope and a word of warning. See, there's great hope in knowing that there is a righteous judge who cannot be bribed, he cannot be tampered with, he cannot be manipulated, he cannot be lied to, you can't spin the narrative in your favor when you stand before the righteous judge who knows all and sees all because that judge alone judges justly. And that's hopeful to me. It means that the wickedness that is upon the earth will not stand. It will not go unpunished. One day the books will be opened and the court will be seated and God will judge the living and the dead and the Bible says he will give each according to his own deeds and wickedness will forever be destroyed. And the Bible says that God's people rise up and worship him as a consequence because wickedness is the greatest affliction we face. Have you ever suffered wickedness in your life? Death, violence, deception, manipulation, addiction, pain, sorrow, loss. Would any of you rightly say, Oh, I just love when people are violent to me. Give me more. I love it when wickedness happens to me. Just bring it on. No, I think we're all looking forward to the day when it will end. And there is a word of hope in that. Those innocent civilians in Ukraine who died at the hands of real malevolent bullies, their deaths will not go unpunished. Oh, the world may engage in its fickle politics and never enter into the conflict, just like most of the world Didn't want to enter into the conflict when Hitler was carrying out his wickedness either. Some of those dead individuals in Ukraine may never get political, military justice from the world as it is today, but one day they'll get justice from God. And that's a good thing. Little Melody Vang, too young to know any better. Too young to know hardly the difference between right and wrong, two years old, beaten to death by people who should have known better. One day she will be vindicated by a righteous judge who will bring about justice against the wickedness that is so prevalent in our world. And I think we're all happy about that. You see, we can reconcile in our minds that God is both an avenger and a righteous God, because that's what righteousness does. It brings vengeance against evil and wickedness. But there's a word of warning in that as well. And that is that it becomes very easy for us to point our fingers at other people and say, those people are the wicked and they're going to be the ones judged by a righteous judge and, oh, I can't wait for that. It's easy to look across the world and go Puh, those russian soldiers who killed the ukrainians they're wicked those people who beat those children to death in minnesota they're wicked but it's an awful lot harder to turn the finger back at ourselves and go you know what i'm pretty wicked myself i lie i cheat i steal i manipulate i've done violence to people And in that moment, there's a word of warning that says to us, the Punisher and the Avenger, the righteous God, is not just coming for everyone else. He's coming for me. Because a righteous judge must judge all wickedness. And the Bible is clear about this, that every single one of us is wicked. Every single one of us in our heart has turned away from the Almighty and righteous judge. And so while we want the hope that wickedness will be destroyed, we also fear the warning that wickedness will be destroyed because that's what God does. But there's a third foundational principle in the Bible. Not just that evil exists and that God is a righteous judge and He will destroy all of that evil. There's a third foundation in the Scriptures that is absolutely critical to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is this, that our avenging, punishing, righteous God is also a loving, gracious, and fair God. Ephesians chapter 2 is one of my favorite scriptures when it comes to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've given you, I believe, verse 4 here. But in the entire context of Ephesians chapter 2, we begin to read that how in our sin we are dead. We have no hope as people of wickedness. We have no hope of people as unrighteous, uh, who are unrighteous because God the righteous judge must by his very character and must by his very nature judge wickedness. But in recounting how we're dead in our sin, The Apostle Paul, in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2, says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, for it is by grace that you have been saved. See, the Bible is clear that evil exists and that God will destroy all evil. The Bible is clear that all of us have turned away from God and we, therefore, are deserving of that vengeance. But the Bible is also very clear about this. When you accept the grace of God through Jesus Christ, the penalty of God's vengeance has been paid. The greatest injustice the world has ever known is also the greatest act of justice the world has ever known. Jesus never committed any sin, nor was any deception or lie found in his mouth, scripture says. The only innocent person ever to walk the earth bore the sin of the world, bore the wickedness of the world, bore the violence of the world on his shoulders and went to the cross in our place and paid the price because God is rich. In mercy, You see, every one of us deserves the eternal judgment that comes from God for our wickedness. But if we are followers of God through Jesus Christ, when God looks upon us, He does not see our violence, He does not see our corruption, but rather He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ standing in our place because the blood of Jesus Christ has been poured out for us. And that's good news. It's good news because it means that the wicked of the world don't have the last say. And it's good news because it means that all the wicked of the world have the right to come into that very same mercy and grace of God. Some of the greatest stories of grace and redemption I've ever heard have come from wicked, violent people who turned away from their own will and gave their lives to Jesus Christ. The very man that I've been quoting all morning long, the Apostle Paul, was a violent murderer. Perhaps you didn't know that, but in the early chapters of the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul was the one who stood there while they murdered Stephen. They stoned him to death because he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And Paul went around and drugged Christians off and threw them into jail. He was quite happy to be a murderer and a violent man by his own words. And yet by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, became one of the leaders of the church of Jesus Christ. I can tell you that I wasn't a murderer, but I grew up a violent young man. I remember very well the day that a very godly, strong 15 year old woman agreed to go on a date with me. And when we were walking in the Quarry Hills Park here in Rochester and we got outside the view of the people around us, she turned around and she grabbed me by the front of my shirt. And you all recall I was a six foot, 250 pound behemoth. She grabs me by the front of my shirt and she says, Fred Hansen, you need to lose your temper. And you need to lose that anger and violence. Or we're through. Because she knew that those actions were incompatible with what it meant to be a man of God. And she wasn't about to date that kind of a man. And I'm so glad she challenged me. Challenged me to grow up. Challenged me to accept the gospel for what it really was. I'm so glad she became my wife and gave me, through Jesus Christ, a chance at redemption. All of us have that same opportunity, and all of us ought to extend that same opportunity because our God is a righteous God who avenges wickedness, but also extends the greatest love and greatest mercy to us when we don't deserve it through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are righteous. And we thank you that you cannot look upon wickedness, for it is completely against your character, and Lord God, it should be completely against ours as well. God, we're so grateful to know that the wickedness and violence we see in the world will not stand, but one day it will be totally destroyed in glory and honor to your name. And Father, we are so grateful that we do not stand condemned Before you. Because Christ Jesus has set us free. Father, because you are righteous, because you are gracious, because you are merciful, because you are loving, we come and we give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message.